This is the Education Gadfly Show. And I don't know if I can get behind someone who can't eat tomatoes. <laughs> All right, so no research on tomatoes. Let's have research on education. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Tom Brady of Education Reform, Brandon Wright. All right. Also joining, yeah, also joining us, Alyssa Schwenk. Hey, Mike. Hello, Alyssa. Uh, it's a sportsing reference. I got that one. You, I watched the Super Bowl and everything this weekend. I will say I sent Alyssa some board memos <laughs> that we've been working on uh, at halftime, uh, thinking that uh, <laughs> Alyssa and some others, thinking that the Fordham staff would really have nothing else to do since the game was so boring it and seemed to be over. It was a very boring first half and a very not boring wow. second half in overtime. Yeah, I actually left the Super Bowl party I was at because let's be clear, I was in it for Gaga, the commercials and the opportunity to bake food and then like caught on Twitter that it was about to go into overtime yeah. with like five seconds left. I should have called you the Lady Gaga of Education Reform. Yeah, I'll take course. it in retrospect. She was incredible. <laughs> so good. She was but good. apparently she didn't jump off the roof. She didn't really jump off the roof? It was pre-recorded. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I get it's disappointing. Well, Wait, right? Come on. She jumped off of it, just not live. Yes. I thought the drones were cool. For a second, I was like, how are they doing that? And then I remembered I read something about drones. Uh-huh. It was quite a, it was probably my favorite halftime show since Prince. And I can comment on that, if not the football game. Yeah, you're, 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 you like the drones until they take your job. <laughs> yes, please don't take my ad policy job. Drones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And yes, mom, if you're listening, it's true. I do have a cold. Uh, seems like everybody does these days. That Me is too. that time of year. But hey, we're not here to talk football or about my health. We're here to talk about education reform. And this was a big week. Let's do it. It's Ed Reform Update. All right. After months of anticipation, we have a new Secretary of Education, Madam Secretary Betsy DeVos. Uh, Alyssa, Brandon, what's your take on how this thing unfolded here at the end? And most importantly, what what happens next? How, how do we move forward as an education reform movement after this incredibly divisive confirmation process? Yeah, no, um, it was crazy. I'd say over the last couple of weeks, as more and more suddenly like education policy was the center of everyone's, you know, mind and at the front of the debates and everything and like people who did not care about education were suddenly very interested. So I kind of, I do hope that momentum continues. Um, today, the house also started moving on ESSA regs, which is actually probably a lot more impactful from a policy perspective <laughs> yeah. than who the secretary is, but ESSA no one's going to care as much about that. In your Facebook feed probably, in the same way that you might've seen. Probably not to the boss. same extent. No. Um, I think it was interesting to watch. I think in the last couple of days, the backlash to the backlash, particularly yeah. Um, from some voices on the left or from a more leftward perspective, because obvious, I understand where teachers were coming from um, with their decision to call and protest and get really engaged on this one. I can see where a teacher might have some, you know, trouble with this nominee and decide to get active. Um, Because of experience? Because because of the experience, um, mostly the experience level um, is kind of what I've been hearing from my teacher friends. And while I don't agree that it's necessary in this role, I can see from a teacher perspective where that would be a sticking point. All right, but let's pause on that just for a second. Look, this is not the secretary of teaching. Right. right? I mean, this is a job that is actually mostly about politics. Yeah. It's about working with members of Congress, working with governors. 
Uh, and Betsy DeVos has been doing education politics for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I argued this week, I, I think she's actually very well prepared for this role. I think what's happened is that people just don't understand the role of the Secretary of Education in part because people like John King and Arnie Duncan have been trying to stick their noses into every nook and cranny mm-hmm. of education practice in this country. So, I mean, I, I don't blame the teachers and parents for thinking that this education secretary is going to be making all kinds of important decisions about their kids' school. But guess what? Uh, they're, Bessie DeVos is not. Mostly what she's going to do is say, you know what? On question after question after question, it, it should be left to the states and to mm-hmm. local school districts to decide. Yeah, I, yes. I've... I've uh... I've had a back and forth all afternoon with a good friend of mine. Um, we grew up in the same area. Now he's a teacher, has been for about five years. He's very involved with his union, very pro-teacher, pro-Democrat. Um, he was very upset by this. But we went back and forth and it came pretty clear that just like you said, he didn't really realize how little this will actually affect his life and his classroom and his teaching. And in fact, he didn't really realize how much the new law sort of defers to to states and actually defers policy to people yeah. like him and yeah. people yeah. around. No. And the argument that I've been making, and this is not new to either of you, is that the positions that she has put forth are not the most potentially problematic for students, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds of the entire cabinet picks. So to me, it's a lot around this question. To me, a lot of the backlash has been because of this misunderstanding of what the Secretary of Education In other words, what you're saying is that folks, particularly on the left, if they're upset about Trump, as it Mm -hmm. would be understandable that they would be, they should be directing their ire at at what? A Sessions or a Tom Price? A Sessions, a Tom Price. Who really could make make decisions that could impact at-risk kids. Yeah. If that is kind of your frame around these issues, I could see an argument where Jeff Sessions' positions have a much greater impact on those kids' day-to-day lives than the positions Betsy DeVos has taken. Yeah. I agree with all of that. All right. And now, now what? I mean, there's all this energy... Does it just fizzle? I don't think all of the grassroots folks are going to be paying attention to the ESSA regs, as you just Teacher said. Teacher prep, you guys. But where, I mean, what what happens now? Did we just put this behind us and we get back to our work? Or has this opened up some fissures that are going to be difficult? Apparently, people are already reporting that sort of the opponents who led this and the, the backing that they sort of ginned up, that they are promising are ready to make DeVos's life very difficult yeah. going well, forward. Well, now, it, it, to the extent that that's actually true, who knows? But yeah. in terms of what she and the administration can do to make life easier and to actually ensure that they strengthen American education, yeah. I think the easiest thing is to try to point out and try to emphasize and try to educate people in terms of what the education department actually does, which circles back to what we just said. Or Brandon, to to say to folks, look, if if you are unhappy with policies or practices in your kid's school or in your your district Mm -hmm. or state, by all means, stay involved. But, you know, you've got to now work at the state and local level. That's where you should put most of your energy. I I do think that uh, if and when the administration puts out a big proposal on school choice, if they indeed do a $20 billion tax Mm -hmm. credit bill of some sort, I think these folks are going to be fired up again. I think we're going to see people marching in the streets to try to keep that uh, out of the tax reform bill that's going to happen later this this year. And it's going to be fascinating. There'll be a, a lot of pressure put on Republicans uh, to make it clear that they won't vote for the tax reform bill if it includes a big voucher component. So stay tuned. I think this yeah. is going to be, uh, I think this battle royale will get picked up again. But otherwise, you know, I do see people talking about we're going to resist. We're going to resist. And I'm like, 
I, I think mostly what she's going to keep doing is saying, I, I don't want to make a decision. You know, uh, if the question is, how should uh, you handle student suspensions? Local school districts, you decide. Like, how do you resist that? I mean, I think it's going to be you hard really to can't. resist a policy that is about devolving power. Yeah, and I would also like suggest that people then start engaging proactively on those issues and yeah. getting like put policy solutions forward work in the best interest of kids if you're not liking what's coming but don't resist just to resist yes we are anti-resisting for the sake of resisting all right good stuff gang appreciate it uh lots to keep watching and talking about i will say for one that i hope we can kind of put some of this divisiveness behind us uh that might be naive <laughs> uh but hey let's yeah, get back no, to the real work uh, which is again at the state and local level Say that again, please. Yes. Uh, the real work is at the state and local level. All right. Yes. That's all the time we've got. Now it is time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back. Hi, thank you, Mike. So did you give up on the Super Bowl? Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm like, all oh, game's over. But heck, we watched it to the bitter end. And wow, what a comeback. Pretty amazing. I we am happy crazy. for our, our mutual friend Rick Hess, who is huh? you know one of the the few Patriot fans out there. Yeah. And he was very excited. The few they there seemed to be a ton all of them. Right, right. I mean, I, I but got most of us board. were rooting against the Patriots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had to get them all board. I had to root end. for the Falcons. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I was see, I was yet. rooting for them at halftime to make a game of it, but I didn't want yeah. them to make that much of a game of it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor crazy. Nico, my son was very upset, oh, uh, even me. crying. Oh. He was very emotionally oh invested. Gosh. He had his Matt Ryan shirt on and everything. Oh, but he's got so many more years to play. Yes. It's yeah. good to learn early that sports can break your heart. It is, right? it is an important life lesson. I know, yes. but anyway, he's a good guy. I like Tom Brady. I didn't used to like him like when he'd left the first wife for yeah. the for the supermodel. Uh-huh. But yeah, I don't know. He's kind of made some kind of recompense and I, I kind of like him more. Now. I no, I was reading apparently they don't eat tomatoes, uh eggplants or mushrooms in their house. Uh-huh. Oh, because it like makes your joints well and I don't know if I can get behind someone who can't eat tomatoes. Okay. But yet he's what going to be 40 soon and yeah, still like he's clearly working hope. for him. <laughs> he gives us old people hope. be anti-tomato <laughs> if it's going to keep us in shape. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so no research on tomatoes. Let's have research on education. All what you got right. for us? We got a new study out in the AERA Open Journal that examines how to support low-level readers in reading complex text. So this is kind of like a Robert study, but you're going to like it too. Okay. So mm-hmm. the Common Core requires that students read grade-level text, as we all know. And Appendix A, lovely Appendix A, says that scaffolding will occur with particularly challenging text. So in other words, it kind of says you're going to have to do scaffolding to keep kids on grade level reading. Can I stop just for a second? Mm-hmm. All you teacher people use that word all the time. I have no idea Scaffold- what it means. What? And this study ah! is this study is so for you. <laughs> my next sentence says, yet many pe- teachers don't know what it means to scaffold ah! their instruction. Ah! Not just me. Nor what effective scaffolding looks like. Okay, yes. but we do okay. love that word. Yes. And so, it's a good thing to do. This study examines the effectiveness of different types of scaffolding to support reading instruction. In particular, now I didn't know this word. We're going to look at interactional scaffolding. Okay, Whoa. so we're getting really okay now. I don't really weedy. Is. Okay, this is the in the moment stuff, like the responsive mm. stuff. Like as soon as the kid kind of trips up, yeah, you do like a little mini intervention, like but, a question. Like you're doing for me right now. Yes, like a little <laughs> questioning technique. Shall we scaffold sort of, this research study from my? <laughs> <laughs> it sort of helps the student get back on track. 
in this is different than planned scaffolding, by the way, okay. which is static, which is what you see in books and curriculum, but mm-hmm. it doesn't depend on that immediate feedback mm-hmm. interaction with the kid that you have right in front of you. Okay. okay. The study is limited in scope and intervention. I have to say this. It's a small study, but it's kind of a cool study. Uh, just 215 mostly low-income fifth and sixth grade students in four southeastern urban middle schools. Okay. Small scope, small intervention. Uh, 66% of them also scored at the basic or below level on their most recent state reading assessment. So these are low-level kids, low-income kids, okay? Scaffolding was provided during four 30-minute guided reading lessons, so just a two-hour intervention, okay? We're going to keep that in mind, from one of 12 tutors in small groups. Certified teachers did the tutoring for the most part, and they received three hours of training on how to identify and deliver these various scaffolding techniques, okay? Mm Okay. Five types of scaffolding techniques were included. Number one, vocabulary scaffold. This is something like, what clues can help you with this word? Okay. A fluency scaffold. Put your finger under the text as you read. A comprehension scaffold. What is happening in this part of the story? A peer scaffold. Ask two students to read together. And a motivation scaffold. Give time limits in the form of races to accomplish tasks. Now, we got all that. Mm-hmm. wonder which one kids are going to respond to. Students were randomly assigned to small groups for the intervention and various statistical techniques were put in place to account for potential dependence across the groups, the tutors, the teacher, and the school levels. Okay, so they had to, yeah. these things were nested, so they had to do a bunch of controls. But still, the key finding is that the motivational scaffolds were the only significant predictor of scores on the silent reading comprehension measure that they used. In short, now this is kind of going to give you an idea of how small it is. Each motivational scaffold the student received in any of the four sessions predicted a 0.73 point increase in student scores. Moreover, motivational scaffolding explained about 2% of the variation in the assessment score, which authors say, although that sounds really, really low, um, recall that the intervention was only two hours and that the scaffolding was only a small part of the larger intervention. Hmm. So it's a modest study but I think it helps us to understand what scaffolding means um, because, again, teachers didn't know what this word really was before Common Core. And it reinforces the idea that kids love competition and they right. love games. I was going to say, games are a huge yeah. motivator with kids. I mean, I, I feel like I have a little bit of a better idea what a scaffolding is now. I feel like this is the one that doesn't really count as a scaffolding. It just sounds like really? it's more like a technique. It's like, <laughs> make it into a game. Well, it is It is right, a scaffold. Right. Okay. Um, but no, but, that that is interesting. I thought you know, there's there's been arguments over the years that this is particularly uh, helpful for boys tend to respond mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to competition and games. I, I don't know if they looked at that by gender. Yeah, no, one they did. Uh, but that for a variety of reasons, uh, maybe because people have been uh, unfortunately reading Alfie Cohen, uh, <laughs> they think that it's somehow bad to have competition. That's right. Games. That's right. Yeah, but I mean, it gives you. I mean, this was. I just gave you one example. There were like mm-hmm. ten different types, but yeah. all the motivational was. You know, can you go faster reading than your partner can? Yeah. Or oh, yeah, you know. kids love that. Yeah. yeah, they totally, totally into yeah. it. So yeah. Cool. anyway, yeah, um, yeah, try that, teacher. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, hey, it might have been a Robert study, but it was a Mike study. Uh, <laughs> I try to like you know make it applicable. Yes, no, um, a scaffold, yeah. if you will. Yes, a scaffold. The application <laughs> of the scaffold. Yes, very good. All <laughs> right, cool stuff. Well, good. Well, thank you, Amber. And that is all the time we've got for today's show. Until next week, I'm Alyssa Schwain, and I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington D.C. For more information visit us online at edexcellence.net.